0: Hey everybody, I want to remind you that episode 15, which will be released on June 2nd, will be our next book club episode, and this time we will be reading the book, Why We Can't Wait, by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Head on over to our website, followingthefire.com for more details. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness just like israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him and like israel we get it wrong a lot we get lost a lot but we're doing
1: our best to to go where god leads us i'm nathan and i'm steve don't you know it's all i have
0: today we're discussing everyone's favorite topic politics we'll be talking about how and why and if we should involve ourselves in the political world whether or not we have to all agree and where our focus through it all needs to be All these battles that i thought you me but you only love Well how, how are you doing Doing good today Yesterday was rough. Uh, I had a MRI a couple days ago. I, I've had so many MRIs at this point. It's like I, I was actually laying in the MRI machine thinking, if somebody's going to be turned into a superhero, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> any any day now, <laughs> <laughs> any day. right? Because I'm like I I I am I'm sure I'm going to turn into a Magneto or something. But I, but I told Chrissy if I if I turn into Magneto, I'll be a good Magneto. Will you? Not okay. Just, You'd like to think that, but, but then this is, I have
1: a a friend told me this, the way to know if you would be a Jedi or a Sith is if you had that power and somebody cut you off on the highway, would you throw their car off the highway? And the answer for me is yes, absolutely. (laughs) Every time. I, I have tried. I've, I've, I've used my brain powers just to crush those cars. So I would be a
0: bad Magneto. I would I would want to be a good Magneto, but I would I would be a bad Magneto. Well, that's tough because even Magneto thought he's being good because you know his original thing was to get to get rid of the Nazis, right? That's uh,
1: that's a good point. And the Nazis thought they were good, right? So thinking oh, did, that you're well, did good, they? <laughs> I th- <laughs> yeah, I, I think I they did. Yeah, I, uh, that's I guess I don't yeah. actually know, but I think I think even the really bad guys. Think they're 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 just they
0: think they're the good guys. Makes you think, huh?
1: Yeah, like our 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 bad guys are is like China. <laughs> but, but if you've met Chinese people, they're like, what you know? No, we're not the bad guys. We're just Chinese.
0: <laughs> well, so it's, so growing up, when, when you watched a movie and there was bad guys, what accent did they have? Um, I give me a second to think about that because. I think mine,
1: my generation was far enough from Cold War, that they stopped being Russian and started being British. Oh,
0: interesting. But I'm tr- I'm trying to think of an actual movie. Yeah, for for me it was mostly, I always remember the Russian accents, were, were the big deal. Yeah, I th- I think, uh, but British is kind of the for American audiences, British accents are the foreign. It just, just means foreign, it just yeah, means that a, you're yeah, Anything. if there's a movie that takes place in ancient Rome, they get British accents, they're British, yeah, exactly, <laughs> even the Americans gotta fake a British accent for that, yeah, for some reason,
1: oh, I don't know what it is, maybe you do, but there's a Jesus movie where it seems like everyone has a British accent, but then the the character playing Jesus um has this amazing smile and a an a American accent, and I always just thought it was funny yeah. that. Um, to to picture like a, a smiling Jesus with a friendly American accent. Because clearly he had a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was smart, so he had a British accent. He was smart and King James, you, you know, is right. so. Uh, Well, I, I have a question for you, Steve. And, okay. you know, not trying to... Sometimes I, f- I feel guilty because my questions kind of come out of nowhere sometimes, but... You know, I don't want to. Don't mean I to not. I can knock. handle it. Yeah. Why are you always so political, Steve? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <clears throat> well, um, <laughs> I've been asked that more times this year than than <laughs> I want to. So political. Just, I just. know. I'm, I. And and divisive. And yeah, and divisive.
1: I'll I'll, I'll tell you why I'm so political. It's because okay. politics brings people together, right? I, I mean, I'm all about bring, by giving them a common enemy to hate. There you go. It just brings us together as people and countries. Um, we've had we've had listeners ask us to talk about this topic, talk about politics, um, and I think people, I think. We just went through 2020, which seemed like a very political year, don't you think?
0: Yeah, it it seemed extra political somehow, extra political.
1: And um, yeah. I know in a in a maybe in the first, very first episode, one of the things I said about myself is that I am very political. I um, I enjoy politics. Um, I've followed politics for a long time. Yeah, and as I've maybe with some help from. Um, my brother-in-law uh, and from, you know, outsiders who didn't grow up in my family. I've learned that uh, you shouldn't just call yourself political, right? You know, that's a pe- pejorative term for a lot of people. Um, and not everyone means the same thing when, when they hear me or when they say political or when they hear me say that I'm, I love politics. Um, I think it's one of those terms that, so I, I think I've been using it wrong. In other words, um, I think it's, there's a few words that that are like designed to be misunderstood socialism mm-hmm. or yeah uh feminist mm-hmm. are, are examples where it we almost need a different word if we want to talk about the idea behind it because people have formed their uh, a gut reaction already and i think there are a lot of people who either start to get really fired up when they hear what pol- political politics mhm or they turn, they they shut down, they they disengage, and they try to distance themselves because it means something.
0: Yeah, and I think like like over the past year, the term political has become even more synonymous with uh, hateful, divisive, or just argumentative more than it used to be. Right.
1: Yeah, and the and that I mean exactly not that when I say that I like politics. I'm someone who when I disagree with someone I really really enjoy that I disagree but I don't enjoy uh making people react. I don't mm. I, I don't enjoy it if and in fact I often tiptoe around things if I know that I disagree uh, with someone on a point um mm. that they feel strongly about. I yeah. I am avoidant very much so. Um Really? Yeah, I'm uh I I see those landmines and then if somebody else brings up the topic, then I get stressed out because I know that that's a, that's a red button issue for, you know, some person. Um, but I really enjoy disagreeing with people when they, when there isn't, when it's not about fighting because you learn things when you disagree with people. Yeah. Um, so I tend to be like in conversations, I I tend to be attracted to people who, have a unique perspective on something even if, or especially if I disagree with it. So for me, political discussion is a, a thing that I don't get that um, adrenaline reaction to. It's uh, it's maybe partially because it's, I, I like the ideas more than the, um, than the gut reaction stuff behind it. So the, so I think when I use the word political, the first thing that I am talking about is policy. Like I like Mm. thinking about policy, public policy and, um, laws that are designed to help improve our society somehow. And the various ideas and theories behind trying to make those laws better. Um, Governance. Governance. Yeah. And so, so that's kind of like wonky. I am wonky. I like, uh, I like the ins and outs of public policy. I like um, knowing what's behind, you know, the cabinet members and what their history is, and um, what issues are are being debated and what policies are are being implemented and how that impacted things. But when people say, "Would you just stop being
0: so political?" I don't think they're talking about that. No. Um, Usually it means would you quit quit arguing about things,
1: right? Yeah because the, the the discussion of the discussion of policy especially if it's details tends to not be very emotional it tends to be more economic kind of and boring yeah statistical maybe but the, yeah the, you're exactly right the, the way that people use politics mostly is divisive are you being do you enjoy controversy
0: well, I think somebody like you is probably pretty rare these days as far as someone who actually just finds it interesting to discuss the different kinds of policy and the, the laws and how it all works together and like the like the ripple down effects of things and that kind of stuff. Because it, it's, it's gotten to the point where, and maybe it's always been this way, but it's just maybe more obvious now that if you're going to be in politics, the vibe is that you have to take a, an unmovable stance on something. Huh. And fight to get that thing to get everybody else to agree with you, your unmovable stance and you changing anything yourself is seen as weakness and you're not a strong leader or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I which is <laughs> not it's totally not the same
1: thing. And I I remember uh I remember being critical of flip floppers. I remember mm-hmm. John Kerry. John oh, Kerry yeah. was a was a flip flopper. Waff- yeah. Um And what's funny is if I, you know, a million years ago, I had been interested in politics enough that I wanted to like be a politician or work for politicians. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I very quickly realized um, as I started studying political science that I, I didn't like that part of it. (laughs) So if I, if I ever, I've fantasized about this sometimes, if I ever ran for an office there there is no way i would win because <laughs> um nobody gets fired up about flip-flopping policy loving middle of the road persuadable people there's no base yeah. there's no grassroots that's going to you know donate money or <laughs> or or anything the the what you have to do is have people who are angry or emotional yep. or feel something very 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 strongly but the, I remember reading, uh, I think it's the book, Three Cups of Tea, which this was not the main point of it at all. But um, I want to say it's a, maybe a climber that is in Afghanistan or Pakistan and because of climbing and interacts with, with the locals. And there's a, a meeting of maybe the, the local elders, and they have to decide something. And uh, th- there's just this idea about uh, how how horrible democracy is and um the the hmm. author or the narrator is is uh is asking them about it and they say w- in in America you win by one person and so 50% percent of the people get what they want and 50% of the people don't get what they want but the way that we work it out is we we stay here and we make um compromises and and adjustments until everybody agrees. A hundred percent of the people get what they want. That that always stuck with me because like a fantasy. Yeah, it's I, I I don't I think when there's twelve people in a room, um it's a little bit different than three hundred and thirty million people. <laughs> um but that stuck with me because we live in Colorado where a landslide is is when a politician wins by fifty two percent of the vote.
0: Yeah.
1: um, And so, you know, the new governor or senators that th- have won by that amount of the vote, it's it's impossible in our climate for them to adjust to only the things that 80 percent of Coloradoans agree on, because there are all kinds of things like that. But that's not what politics is about. Politics mm-hmm. is about the things we disagree with hmm. or the, that we disagree about.
0: It's kind of true. I never thought about that.
1: And you don't like, you're not going to talk about, there is no reason to talk about the things you agree on in politics, but definitely over the years, it's also become dangerous to, if you want to stay in power, which is your whole job as a politician, apparently, (laughs) if you want to stay in power, you not only do you have to have a strong stance about something, feel very strongly about something and stick to it, but you also can't be seen as uh friendly with the enemy you have to have, right it's not just i like trees we should plant trees it's but my enemy hates trees and we should hate
0: him right um yeah and if you you can't even say well you know my my opponent has a good point there he's like whoa 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah so that that's that's my fantasy is i would run positive ads only and and say here are the things that i agree with my opponent on And I would just—that would be the end of the ad. And I would, you know, I would run based on trying to find things that—that a huge percentage of Coloradoans agree on, and leave the controversial stuff to someone else. But um, it's—I think there's a a reason why there aren't um, there aren't politicians doing that. And when it when it comes to politics and the church, it gets way way more complicated. Oh, wow. Politics is already a sensitive, touchy subject for a lot of people. And then when you add in... And that's because increasingly our identity is tied up in political affiliation. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know which came first because, as you mentioned, the politicians have to have to excite a base. They have to make them mad or angry or happy or fearful or, or some strong emotion about something. And they... And so the politicians do that, but we also, as tribes of people, we are also electing politicians who are like us and who are fighting for our tribe. So I don't know which one comes first. But that, so when you combine it with now religion, you've got a strong tribal affiliation and now another strong identity forming affiliation. Yeah. And so. Things get really, really touchy, which I think is why people want to know what we think about politics. Yeah, and the the first thing I think, the first criticism that that we hear, and and what people mean when they say, "Why are you being so political, Steve?" Uh, is that politics is secular, Mm-hmm. and secular things are, you know, we we're we should be spiritual. We should be we should be thinking about things above, not things below
0: yeah it's this idea that if it's if it has anything to do with the law, then it's therefore not in, in the sphere of uh, faith yeah it's um and the,
1: this is a very old 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 subject. I remember reading um, papers from the Middle Ages that are about the sword and the cross. Uh, Because they, you know, uh, taken from verses about maybe God appointing authorities to punish people. There's this idea that the secular power, like police, the sword, is here to just keep things orderly for us. Yeah. Keep the criminals locked up, basically. Keep the, but also the military. Keep, you know, keep foreigners from attacking us, I guess. But then the the spiritual kingdom is separate from that. And mm-hmm. there are two domains and that, you know, in the middle ages there even were, you know, there was a King and a Pope and they were kind of both the King. One was just over the the secular world and one was over the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's a division that Jesus has. I don't think that there, there I'm going to contradict myself there are verses that make it seem like, Oh there's there's spiritual and there's secular like uh when uh when Jesus is asked about tax and he says give to caesar what is caesar's and give to god what is god's that could certainly be interpreted as we'll keep your secular part of you separate from your religious part of you and don't let them mix i don't think that's what he meant i th- i think that he means uh Give God what is God's is give God everything. Give Caesar what is Caesar's is don't worry about the you know the the money that Caesar's trying to take away from you, you know. Let him have it. Let him have yeah. his filthy money. But let God have what is God's. And I I think when I think the whole idea of Jesus's kingdom was not to have a separate mind re- religion box in, in our lives but to bring um, the secular and the religious as one complete thing it's not separable
0: yeah um, we, we seem to have kind of a I don't know how to put this um, it's not like a split personality or something in, in, in America about this separation of church and state you hear a lot about and then mm-hmm. but at the same time you have People in churches who want to legislate, you know, like bans on abortion, yeah, and they want or other kinds of morality legislation. And on the other other side, they're like, and and they also want prayer in schools, but then they don't want churches to be involved in, or they don't want the government to be involved in things they think the churches should be involved in. I don't know. It's like sometimes let's keep it separate. Sometimes let's combine them together. Yeah, there, there is a, this is a way to trick people, by the way, um, there, there
1: are some political affiliation, uh, tests out there. Yeah. Um, and there's one good one. I'll, I'll have to look it up later, but, um, it tests how libertarian and authoritarian you are. Okay. And then how, uh, let's say liberal or conservative or left leaning and right leaning you are. Interesting. And um as someone who grew up as a, a you know uh president of the young Republicans club and a very much a conservative um republican as a young young adult, I like to think of myself as very much on the libertarian side of things mm-hmm. free market, free economy and um that's libertarian you know economic stuff but but socially um, I was Mostly libertarian as well hmm. um, the, because the role of the government sh- should be small and just shouldn't interfere in in yeah. very much you know in life they should the government should do schools and roads and and things that governments are good at, but you know try to stay out of it and then there's you know le- left and right, but what I have seen increasingly is especially Christians who don't realize how authoritarian. Many of their views are. So if if you ask them, if if they, you know, let's say, they like freedom and liberty. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But that's mostly economic. It's hmm. mostly I think that government should not regulate businesses, and shouldn't tax me very much. Um, there's also a, you know, religious liberty. Definitely a big component of that. The, the government should stay out of yeah. my religious practice and then for some reason uh, also worked in there is and shooting devices. I don't want them to take those either. So uh, I don't know where that came from, but, but um, socially uh, often that, that same group of people is actually very authoritarian when it comes to who should be able to marry each other or what should, what should other people be able to do that are not my religion Mm -hmm. or you know, when, when there are conflict, who should win? And uh, so it's it's interesting to see people take that test and then realize that they score really high in authoritarian. Hmm. Like, w- wait a minute, what? But, you know, it's it's also not very fair because both sides definitely point at each other and say, you are trying to dictate my life. You know, you're trying to tell me what to do. Uh, and I don't like that. The rain is falling hard. On this dusty ground, and I got no way of knowing what will grow. I guess any way that we try to split the boxes, though, I think this—the secular and religious—and let's keep them apart. When we're outside of the church, it do, I don't think it makes very much sense. I, I think that that. Living a kingdom life sometimes is going to mean I, I, it. It seeps into everything you do. So if you're yeah. if you're going to do something and look at a policy, I think it makes sense to think about it in a Christ-like way and in a kingdom way. Just like when you think about when you vote, and I, but I think the this thing that is is more scary is, but should you ever talk about those things inside a church building? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, like, uh, I, and I cringe when I, um, I've heard sermons, uh, I think it's f- historically, maybe in, in the, in, like, maybe, like, more progressive churches, maybe, politics, I associate that with, with also talking about politics from the pulpit. I don't know why, I might be wrong about that but like the, the black church is a church that very much does not distinguish a secular life from a religious life. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, it makes sense to talk about the policy that's up for um, debate that, you know, is going to affect people in our community. But I grew up in a tradition where uh, it, a, a preacher would never tell you how to vote. And I'm, I'm glad for that, but politics is not, a subject that is breached at all from the pulpit.
0: Yeah, it even kind of makes me think of the. I remember the first job that I had after I graduated from college was like a computer repair shop, basically, and they like had one rule in the shop, like well, two rules, well, whatever, one or two. <laughs> one rule was uh, no talking about politics. Second one was no talking about religion. Right, because one of, you're going starts fights every time. you know and then you get to to church and the rule is no talking about politics but you can talk about religion now (laughs) interesting yeah
1: the and i think for the most part where i am is that i i do think that again i cringe when when i hear a, a preacher say you should vote for this person or you should not vote for this person i don't know if that's part of just the sensitivity i i developed growing up um but i think you can take that a step too far where from the pulpit you just talk about interesting things from the first century and you yeah. the the only language you ever use is pharisees and samaritans yeah and it's pharisees and samaritans was so political so political yeah that's the, a good the, point <laughs> it, it, it it was like saying conservative white evangelicals and illegal immigrants. Yeah. Like that's, you know, so we kind of mask the fact that a little bit of the political stuff that is a part of, of being in the kingdom, like power and widows and orphans or, um, you know, the, the least of these or, or, or whatever. And so, you know, I'm glad I'm not a a preacher um, because I, I don't, I think I would tiptoe around that line, just like I tiptoe around it. I'm um, in my private life, but I think, I think that the first of all, that idea that you just should never talk about politics, but also the fact that your consumer, you know, people sitting in the pews are going to vote with their dollars if you do bring up something that, um, yeah, that is you know if you said feminist or socialist or one of those words that's that people really react to it's going to it's going to make some people angry and why can't we just talk about what we all agree on
0: right yeah and that i think that's where it comes where the current i mean politics in the first century aside that the the prohibition against or even the unspoken prohibition against speaking about politics from the pulpit or at church in general is it comes down to the fact that politics has become such a tribal thing. And and that tribe is and I think it's it's in a lot of ways kind of overtaking the identity of Christianity and the, the tribe you are of politically has become more important. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I remember it's been Maybe five, uh, six years ago, maybe I don't forget how long ago it was. I taught a class at church. I think I mentioned it before on the book um, "UnChristian" by David Kinneman. and one of the it's it's about uh, perceptions that outsiders have of Christians. And one of the perceptions was that Christians are too political; they were way too involved in politics. And I had taught a lot of classes at church before that, often. S- slightly controversial or quote unquote edgy topics or whatever. But I had never had anybody get so mad at me that they yelled at me and stormed out of my class until I taught the class on Christians being too political. Oh man. And I got to the, I, I was talking about how, why people think that we are too, politi- too political and what we need to do, do about that. And this guy got so mad. He just, he yelled something about Obama and stormed out. And I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah.
1: the And the there's, there's a, there's a weird thing happening where I, I kind of agree with those people. I think Christians are being too political and also not political enough. Hmm. And it's when I think about, the Christians that my friends are going to know who don't go to church from the past 10 years, they're mostly people on television. Uh, And if you're, if you're not a Christian and you hear, you know, George Bush or Obama or Joe Biden or, or Trump say, God bless America or, or or use um, biblical language. You, you just, you don't see that as you just see that as, somebody using Christian power for a very political end, whatever it is that they're supporting at the moment, you don't draw a distinction between that. Oh, they're, they're doing something secular. You, you know that they're talking to an audience of Christians and trying to use those, get those Christians to support whatever thing they're in favor of. But I, you know, I think of like Pat Robertson or, or just people on, you know, talking heads who are pundits and television is there to sell ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've <laughs> taught my son what advertisements are and they are they are when when people want you to be unhappy with what you have and they want some of your money. That's an advertisement. <laughs> um but uh the what brings people to Fox News and MSNBC and online now is revenue. Yeah. Those people want your eyes glued to the screen, and the way that you do that is either fear, or excitement, or intrigue. It's it's always a high emotional um, load that that they're trying to, to bring across. And so controversy. again, you're, yeah. controversy, yeah. And you people get a dopamine hit when yeah. things are controversial. Um, it's kind of like spicy food. Spicy food hurts but then your body gets that little rush to basically to repair itself. And people who like spicy food, like myself are actually addicted to the drug you're giving yourself to deal with the pain. And controversy is absolutely. I've even noticed uh, in our, uh, I, I track, you know, like when we, when we post a post on Facebook and the, the ones that people disagree on somehow like publicly get, 10 times more views yeah. than than the ones that are just like a statement of polite fact. <laughs> um, and it's it's really sad. I've watched that and I, I was like, we need to figure out a way to get people to en- engage like by asking a polite question. Uh, but it, it was so sad to see. like, If all that I cared about was like, um, if I was selling a product and I just needed people to see it, I would just learn from that very short experiment. that I should make it divisive and controversial.
0: Yeah. Everyone's going to see that. Your blood gets pumping and your body thinks that this is an exciting thing. And so you want to, with the TV, the more controversial and uh, uh, scary it is, the more you want to go back to that to get the dopamine hit. And I actually actually heard about somebody was talking about, um, advice for first time dates. Uh huh. If, If you, if you go on a first date with somebody, um, I don't know if this works, take them to like something like a, like a scary movie or like a, a roller coaster or something that's going to s- slightly scare them because like the, their heart will start pumping and stuff and, and they will correlate that feeling with being with you <laughs> and on <they'll laughs> like a second date with you. <laughs> it's just marketing. <laughs> Dating is basically yeah. marketing, right? <laughs> it it
1: It is. It's, it's looking for a job. It's marketing. I thought you were going to say, bring up a really controversial subject and then disagree with them on everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's probably not advised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yes. For yes. For television. No for dating. Yeah.
1: And you know, all, all that to say, so the people on television who have basically been all of our information input for, for the last 20 years and 10 years and five years are, are not the people who are reasonable Mm-hmm. Or who have the best ideas or who are the best representatives of Christ you know as Christian talk show hosts or whatever those people are that are that are uh, representing a you know a Christian standpoint they are the extreme version that are going to yell about something right um so that's that's what the world has seen and has said Christians are too political and they've also seen maybe ideas like the moral majority who it who is kind of a this idea that Christians are trying to keep their power and stay in kind of a dominant place in society.
0: That's what prayer in school is or kind of the co-op. I see that as like the co-opting of Christ for political gain, which it comes from a started, (laughs)
1: but it comes from a good place. If you don't think about it, it comes from like, Oh no, uh, a gut reaction that, you know, the, I don't know, church attendance is down or, you know, the, this country is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's because we are, we are becoming more and more secular, and we need to ch- become more and more moral. Mm-hmm. It's it's that reaction, like, oh, we've got to fix this, and also that feeling that I'm, my position feels like it's getting lower. I, I have less power. People don't listen yeah. to my, maybe authority as a Christian now. They reject that, and so that, that's kind of what s- starts Christians wanting to get power again, which is, um, you know, the opposite in my, uh, opposite of Christianity. Christ is, is the all powerful being that gave it all up for the people who disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. But, but Christians feeling that power start to subside a little bit in American culture want to elect people, whether they are, you know, Christian or not, or moral or not to ups, uphold that position that we've had well it's the opposite of jesus
0: that that's pretty that so say it again christ died for people he gave it all up for people who didn't agree with him and we're doing the exact opposite we're doing the exact opposite yeah it's the opposite
1: of the christ hymn in ephesians is that is that where it is philippians it's like christ being by oh sorry yeah definitely philippians Let's see if I read it backwards, if it is Christian nationalism. <laughs> I do like to make up Bible verses or read them backwards or change the words. So, what Christ did, being at the very highest, being actually God, didn't consider that equality to be something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself lower, taking even the nature of a servant, being made a human. Uh, then he keeps going lower. Because then he's a man, then he humbled himself becoming uh, obedient to death, even death on the cross, and therefore um, God is exalted to the highest place in every name, um, and given the name above all names, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want the second part of it, but but the way that we do it is by, well, I'm a man, but I'm going to raise myself above the people around me and try to use uh this status with God to my own advantage. Yeah, it's the Christ in backwards. <laughs> the inverse. The inverse. Wow. Yeah. So don't don't do that. That's the opposite. The, the, when I've I've said a, a few things that I think recently American Christians what we need to rethink is our relationship with power, truth, mm-hmm. and the lost. And that's what I mean about power is I as a very political person who thinks Christians should be involved politically, I think that we should not be uh looking after power, which is what the pattern of the world is. The the everyone around us whether they're using uh God's name in vain or not, it, um <laughs> they are they are seeking that power. Um but Christians should be giving up that power when we have it. Hmm. Um but seeking f- something else. So the so the the people are right who said Christians are too political because of those Christians who are either the screaming people on the news or the Christians who are fighting to keep America Christian, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that means. And the I feel like I like to use French people or Muslim people to understand when have we gotten our relationship with power wrong? Okay. So if the Muslims in our country were advocating for this thing, that's literally used on Fox News all the time. Oh, someone's going to implement Sharia law in this county, right? What that is, is a religious group uh, trying to get the society to conform to their ideas of right and wrong. That's what that is. And there's definitely a dividing line between people who maybe think that Christians should use power to force other people, I guess, to, to do that. Um, those people tend to think that society should be more moral by being more Christian through the, through the the government and the people on the other side of that tend to think we are an exiled people in a foreign land as Christians. Yeah. And, uh, our job isn't to dominate, but it's it's to be faithful as a minority. But if if you're someone who has been in majority and you're, it's very hard to make the leap to to accept being a minority now. And you're going to want to grab onto that that power. Hmm. But anyway, so the there's the wonky and secular, um, but then controversial and divisive that's what the is selling the ads and then i i think there's a, an idea in churches that contra, controversial and divisive people should be thrown out that's a bible verse right get rid of the divisive person person in your midst midst mm-hmm. and the that gets applied to maybe more things than it should so mm-hmm. One definition of political is, uh, in my opinion, is especially as you're as you're as you're talking in a tribe, things aren't political if everyone agrees on them. Hmm. So if you if point. you went down the ro- if you go down to the the road to the cowboy church, you could maybe get away with praying, dear God, thank you for send us more rain. You know, keep our guns in our holsters and our you know horses riding straight. I don't know anything about cowboys, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they I don't know what they pray for. But um, but if you went a couple more miles down the road to the Quaker church, you have accidentally said a political thing, right? So very often, uh, what is going to be perceived as political is not; it has nothing to do with policy. And it has nothing to do with loving, disagreeing with people, but it does have to do with um, ideas that the majority of a group uh, disagrees with or ha- or, ha- or ways that they haven't thought before.
0: And I think we've seen a lot of that. So political has become synonymous with thing I don't agree with. Think exactly. When, when somebody says
1: you need to stop being so political, Uh, It's it's only things that they don't agree with, because if you could get in a room, if you go to the Republican convention, um, the definition of what is political changes. Hmm. So in the Republican convention, it's it's fine to talk about, you know, what your support of the GOP or or whatever the they currently stand for. But there are still things you could say in that context that would be feel very divisive. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, why? hey, why do you got to bring that up? Right now, for example, the Republicans are kind of reckoning with uh, Republicans who did or did not support Trump. Right. You know, Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney, for example. Right. So the political act that they committed, the treason that they committed, was disagreeing with the group that they were in on, on a couple of things. And it had nothing to do with policy because they all believe the same thing about taxes. And so that, that I think has been happening in churches where the first century is really safe to talk about, but Mm. life got real in 2020. And now some things that feel political to us, um, white Christian evangelicals, like race riots, Mm -hmm. uh, police brutality, they, they made it into regular conversation and regular life where I work, where the rule is don't talk about religion and politics, but it got real enough that it made it to where I work or uh, the politicization of wearing masks and yeah. vaccines and mask mandates and shutdowns. These things impacted us and impacted churches directly. And so the first century is where we feel safe talking about the, Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Zealot and the Samaritan but um, suddenly there are people in churches who are bringing these things that feel very political and the church doesn't all agree on those things mm-hmm. and so the reaction is stop being so political but what they mean is I want you to agree with me on this thing or shut up about it. But the sky is pouring down, so either way, we'll know.
0: Please don't turn
1: away. This has been happening theologically for decades. I'm not old enough to claim that. This has been happening (laughs) theologically for a decade it's it's not very okay in a church to disagree about things I don't mean political things I mean Anything. it's there are certain kinds of things that we can disagree about and it's no problem but it's it's a place where disagreement is kind of scary yeah um and we think that unity is when you agree on everything yes and so by extension when things not only you know are we kind of tiptoeing around, let's say theological issues, I don't know, you know, that where we went to church, um, we, like, the diversity of opinion about instrumental worship or women's roles or um, any number of issues was high, there, high diversity. But we didn't, t- it wasn't okay to talk about those things because we don't agree about those things. And And then politics is even worse. I think churches would have, uh, done better going through 2020. If they were places where it's very very safe to disagree on things,
0: I mean, I feel like they should be places where you can disagree on things. Because, I mean, it's we talk about it being a family and a community all the time, but it's like you should I mean, with your with the closest people people you have closest relationship with that should be a safe space to talk about hard things. It's like you don't know any families, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> families it's are where it's of...
1: <laughs> ideal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I, I do think I, I, th- I use a family reunion a lot mm-hmm. when I think about uni- unity because um, th- I think an ideal family reunion has all these people who are very different. Um, they they have different interests and hobbies and. They're different ages and they live in different places. Yeah. And hopefully they are all like being themselves as much as possible. That's the, that's a fun family reunion. They have unity because they're all related to the same person. And, you know, two generations up, you know, they all have the same grandma and grandpa. That's right. a family reunion. And we, you know, unity in a church has been used, I think, a little bit too much to be we should not have disagreement, but our unity doesn't come through our agreement. And that's very unbiblical to think that unity is agreement. Um, Paul is constantly talking about how to be unified in the disagreements that you have. Hmm. Yeah. It's not, don't talk about it. It's, it's, Oh, you go to the, the, the second amendment gun wearing guy sits next to the pacifist and then he says, "Here's how to deal with each other when when you believe that it's acceptable to use lethal force, and when this person believes that it's not acceptable to leave, use lethal force." Hmm. That's not in the Bible, but but right. e- you know, e- eating eating meat sacrificed to idols, or or abstaining completely because you don't want to eat sacrificed to idols. Those are that was political, and it was very much in their secular lives, and they're sitting next to each other disagreeing about that. I, our unity doesn't come from what we think or what, or what we care about, what our interests are. It's it's because we're related to the same person.
0: Yeah, it's like when he says, like some of you say I'm, I'm of Paul, and some of you say I'm of Apollos. It's like that's fine if you like one of the others' preaching style or whatever. Mm-hmm. But go one level above that. What's what? What are you really connected to? Who are you really related to? And and when you I. I know that people
1: have different thresholds of controversy and I do. I, I have a high controversy threshold. I don't get stressed out when there's uh when two people are disagreeing and I know there's, you know, I grew up in a family where we disagree on things um, and it's, that's a way that we talk to each other mm-hmm. and it's, it's not, it's not that we think ill of each other if we disagree on, you know, I don't know if, soccer is better than football you know i i will disagree with you on that but i don't but i i don't want you to change your mind i want you to stay trying to convince me that the one you like is better than the one i like i i enjoy that
0: you know that level of disagreement and even if you're wrong i'll walk away from that still loving you <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly yeah and
1: um so i i, I should acknowledge that i I don't mind controversy. I don't like disagreeing with people like getting a a rise out of people. I think that when the people that we should watch out for who are divisive are people who enjoy getting a rise out of someone or who just can't ever agree on anything with, with anybody. Um, that's divisive, but not political because I know people Mm -hmm. like that. They're not political, but they're, they're very divisive. Um, but, anyways, if, 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 as a controversy, high threshold person, I do think raising the controversy threshold for churches would have made churches stronger.
0: I think you're right.
1: Um, and when,
0: I mean, it wouldn't have been easy, when, it would have been painful for a while, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's very hard to go from a avoidant community where you, you tiptoe around the things you know you shouldn't talk about yeah to a uh, to an open and but humble community because the first of all the first person who opens their mouth is going to be divisive but also the i think there's a feeling that um of a foundation that is being lost yeah but it's it's again you know another good analogy is a relationship a marriage and the best marriage is not the one where you agree on everything and the things that you don't agree on, you just don't talk about you tiptoe around them. I I think it's that if there are things that bother you, you, you talk about them and you bring them up and you, you engage with each other instead of shutting down and, and glossing it over. I think, I don't know how, how it's possible at the place where we are now to, to inject controversy again. I had a, it's like, maybe it's almost too late, but I I had this, I like to think, one, maybe a better word than controversial is challenging. Jesus often used challenging uh, language that was going to grab the attention of his audience. Mm -hmm. And he he was trying to push them into a spot of discomfort often. And it, it was just at the moment when they expected him to, continue on in the vanilla, you know, regular thing that rabbis talk about, that he switches it around and flips it upside down. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of like very first, um, when when Jesus is preaching the best sermon of his life, um, and he's saying, he opens up the scroll, it's Isaiah, and he says, I'm here to bring freedom to the oppressed, and I, I, sh- I should have looked it up. I'm I'm here to rescue the people. This is being fulfilled in your setting, and everyone's like whooping and hollering, and they're all excited. <laughs> and then he he takes all of that, you know, capital that he's been building in his sermon, and then he he starts talking about um, Gentiles and how how um, over and over in Israel's history, um, God could not find a faithful person, so we had to go outside of Israel to find that person, and they. They turn against him instantly, and he, because he suddenly made it political and divisive.
0: Yeah, like
1: you didn't have to say that, Jesus. You could have stopped the sermon early. Why? Why do you have to be so? Why do you have to bring Samaritans into it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Can, can't we just stick to the the basics? Right. Um. <laughs> stick to the stuff we're all going to agree on. Right. So, so I've I've had this fantasy though of getting to go back to church and I had, I decided if I was going to go back um, to the same place, I was going to start injecting some challenges on purpose. That was going to be my whole mission. Every Lord's supper talk, every prayer, every class, any comment was going to be aimed at making it just a little bit uncomfortable.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, when one person does that, that's probably the back to the kick out the divisive person and it's really annoying. But what I was, what I have this desire for is our kingdom communities where first of all, you are challenged sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, And where it's safe to disagree on things and, and where the kind of offensive upside down kingdom of Jesus is teaching comes closer to our century than to the first century. And, and we really understand these images that Jesus is trying to use. I always, you know, I always wanted to, one of my favorite examples is trying to talk about, we should integrate the bathrooms and make it. Right. We should just have one bathroom because it's, it's this way to challenge people's gut reactions a little bit, get them used to that uncomfortable feeling so that we can have a stronger connection that, they can withstand those disagreements.
0: Well, I think a more authentic connection, in a way,
1: because you're not yeah,
0: you're not constantly hiding what you really believe. You're like you're you're open and honest about it. Right. Yeah, and I I think
1: the best church, just like the best family reunion, is where the people are very much themselves. Meaning, the artists are artsy, and the nerds are nerdy, and the accountants are nerdy and the you know the jocks mm-hmm. are like it's it's not about um, being a you know I, I think because we value certain things in, in churches there are there's a subset of people who have a lot of value to a church because they they're a preacher or they're a, they're on staff or they, they they're good at, at speaking but I th- I think by avoiding some of those controversies, what ends up happening is you just get a group of people who just are very similar in the same room. And the people who really can't abide, you know, not talking about the thing that's very important to them, they just find another group where it's okay to talk about that, but maybe it's not safe to talk
0: about something else. So what's wrong with that? I mean, I mean, Devil's advocate here. <laughs> yeah, no. I if if talking about things that we're going to disagree on and you know people we know we're going to disagree on it and it's going to cause strife of some sort um then what's wrong with just avoiding those topics completely? So you're not political, quote unquote. Yeah. I
1: First of all, I think it's a lot of the time it is it's sometimes it's going to be wise to avoid certain topics. But if you are, when you avoid those things, okay, I've got two, two, two reasons. One reason why people avoid those things is is so that their flocks, their, their churches don't do that. So they don't scatter and split up into the, uh you know two or three churches who now agree with each other again, so as a leader or as a preacher or as a pastor or as elders, I think there is an unhealthy incentive to keep fake peace mm. yeah, and that's fine real peace is is a good thing, but peace and silence are not the same thing when when there are problems and If you've ever been a manager or ever been managed or ever been a parent or ever had a parent, you know that if, have you ever known parents that the way that they deal with their children is by keeping them happy all the time?
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those are (laughs) the people whose children I do not want to be around. (laughs) No. No, I do not. uh, And
1: it's, you know, it's probably one of those things that if if you do it, you can't see it. So I'm sure I'm guilty of this sometimes, but. Um, you cannot raise sane children. You can yeah. raise crazy children by doing that. So as leadership, when what you think you're doing is unity, but it it what is really happening is the sheep are leading you. if you if you don't know who are the people who need a little bit of correction or the kind of people who really are the divisive people, So when they complain, you you maybe shouldn't do what they want, right? Maybe should you should coach them and 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 try to help them work through that instead of well, I guess let's all bend the will to the loud person who complains. So as leaders, if you are never if you never say no or you never run into some abrasion, it turns out you're not leading at all. You're you are following. And your sheep, your your flock is not being corrected or growing. It's just those kids who get whatever they want, whenever they want it. And it does not lead to spiritual maturity.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. And it's, I think it comes down to the, you, you touched on it, the idea that peace is not the same thing as unity. And I think a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, in an effort to maintain unity, they've conflated it's that with silent. the idea. Yeah. It's a si- silent unity. As long as no one's complaining, then we're unified. Right. And that's what Jesus wanted in John 19. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing the right thing as long as no one's complaining about stuff. But what right. may have actually happened is like you said, everybody who disagrees has gone because they know their dissent is not welcome. And so you've ended up with a homogenous group of people who all believe the same thing and no one's growing. Yeah. And you're, and you're avoiding the
1: things that, you do disagree about that. You all know that you disagree about, but that you don't want to breach.
0: Um, it's a very av- avoidant behavior. It's like you've chopped off your left arm because it doesn't sign your name as well, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, now you don't have your left arm anymore. Right. <laughs> Maybe you need that left arm. Or yeah, hide it away. You know, you're you're wearing a,
1: a cloak. Um, the the other danger, though, so. You, you let's say you you are leading and, but you realize. These people are so different from these people. How could they ever coexist? As a, you know, we're we're such a consuming culture. So it's people just are going to go where they're comfortable, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem. But um, the the problem when you there's that division, and then you just go to where now you agree with everybody. I think the church. I think one gift of the church for us is supposed to be. What's the opposite of homogeneity? Uh, Diverse. Diversity. It's young people are supposed to be with old people and old people yeah. are supposed to be with young people and black people are supposed to be with white people and people, poor people and rich people together because there is, there are all these gifts that happen and these ways that we need to support each other and a, I think a lot of those ways happen to be challenging each other. Young mm-hmm. people need to be around old people so that they can learn to respect uh, the wisdom that comes with age and the, and, and, and learn that, you know, the brand new way of doing things isn't, isn't the only way and all, isn't always the best way. Yeah, Old people need to learn to be flexible and to, you know, to, they need to see the young people growing up and they need to, you know, mentor them and but also learn from them and i think i think discomfort that's uh, iron sharpening iron is is an analogy that we use for bible study usually men men studying bible with men for some reason <laughs> it's it's the, it's the manly way to men read are iron <laughs> <laughs> yeah um um but the the idea is that there are good kinds of controversy Mm -hmm. or I get, there are good kinds of conflict that are Mm -hmm. constructive. And, you know, without, without that, I think that you are just building another weak community. And when you leave Sunday morning, hopefully you're not going into a homogenous world. You are, you are going to encounter people who are different than you in every way, shape and form And if you are are in a homogenous church, you think that those things that are different about the world is wrong with them. Yeah. Like you should, you should be more like me. Christians are like me. Um, And part of being a Christian is, is to accept my political beliefs and accept the way that I talk and accept the, the way that I dress. But that comes from, you know, uh, Inbreeding a little bit too much, staying in, in the in one congregation, yeah. and not realizing that no, Chris, Christians talk every way, they they are from every country and nationality, mm-hmm. and um, it's a very important thing to learn in the safe space of a church. It, it what is safe mm-hmm. about it is that you are you are all united in purpose, and you you have you have hopefully some spiritual mentors to guide you through your disagreements with each other because god forbid we just leave us to learn how to disagree in the world they're not gonna they're not good at teaching you how you should disagree about things and the, i i do want to emphasize that you know political for political sake is is divisive but jesus was so political in his ministry. And I think that we are called to challenge ourselves and to be challenging in, in the same way. And, you know, talking about unity, Jesus called disciples to him that were so vastly different from each other. Hmm. They were all Israelites, I think. Um, but they, but he had the tax collector and the zealot, um, and, these personalities that were that were conflicting they dis- they bickered about who was who was going to be greater than the other one um, and and then his kingdom just kept getting more diverse after that then uh, christian started to realize peter who had figured out maybe how to be in a relationship with the the other 11 now he had to learn what does it mean to start to accept Gentiles and to accept Gentiles without them stopping being Gentiles? Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, the, (laughs) the whole gospel, there's a theme of Jesus coming to Israel, then to, you know, the surrounding area and then to the whole world. And as the kingdom grew, it wasn't that people became more like Jewish Israelites. It's that the kingdom found its, its places in, in Greece and in Rome, and th- then it kept going. And those people were Greek, and they, they were um, very, very different, but they had a unifying bond in Christ. Please don't hide your face Would you remember the sunny days? We share and all the laughter and joy. Before- now, I heard a really, really interesting take on, you know, Christians have struggled with how how do I be a faithful Christian in a democracy, uh, whether I'm, you know, in the majority or minority. Um, religious group in the country um what is the right way to do it and i think we're constantly looking for a verse that just tells us the answer like what is the way to do it what is the rule and a lot of people turn to daniel um daniel carries a political position in a in a foreign country and there's lots of good wisdom about um how to, you know, what should our relationship with power be? Um, Daniel kind of goes along with the power and works with it and just tries to be, you know, his own um, moral self in his room privately. Um, and occasionally even he's bringing truth to the to the power, but he's also, you know, kind of coexisting in that country. He's not fighting against it. He's not a resistor. Yeah. Um, and that's used, uh, you know, as the rule for you know, what, what should political involvement look like for Christians? But I, uh, what, what I, the take that I heard was that, that Daniel is a very good example of ha- how to be faithful, but so is David and David was the king. And, um, mm. but they also made mistakes or Joseph, you know, maybe a good example of how to be faithful when your tribe has cast you out. I think there's a lot of people going mm. through that right now um and w- and what does redemption look like and do you get to take revenge a little bit but still love them maybe so right uh yeah that's the joseph story but he's all but um th- but there's the example of Moses killing the the um egyptian person which we're not given as a good example or a bad example but it's just how did Moses use his power when his people were being oppressed well, first he took it into his own hands, but then later he's an example of God caring about oppressed people and leading them to safety, Yeah. right? Uh, bringing, bringing justice and, and freedom to, to exiles. And I think Christians have to get away from looking at one Bible verse and have to start looking at who was Jesus, who what is the kingdom, and as we're following Christ, what what are we supposed to be doing? And I and I think that we are supposed to continue the freeing the oppressed, caring for the the least of these, including the alien, um, and the poor. And and some of those things that sometimes in history and some countries become very political, even if the whole time we've just been saying what Jesus was saying, which is that yeah, even this the Samaritan is my neighbor.
0: Yeah, so you you've mentioned how Jesus we should well how we shouldn't be political just for the sake of being political. Um, I I guess you kind of mean don't don't just argue for the sake of arguing. But but and that, it's very easy to get lost into
1: into the world's way of being political, which is as soon as you were right about something, you you fought for that cause. You're always right about it yeah, that, that aligns you sometimes with a certain group. And the temptation is to then just like keep going along with that group and be against the other group. But I don't think we should ever be against the other group. Uh, I think, uh, meaning I think those causes that we are for, we should always be for. Um, but the goal is not the politics and the, that's not the thing that should get it, get us excited is the, that we're owning the libs or that we're vindicated and that our person won the election because we do have a perspective that is much longer than just that. And the, you know, the politician that we vote for that is maybe we think is going to further some just cause is also going to do things wrong. And the temptation is well, but that person was kind of for me in this way. So I'm going to think the best of that person and the worst of the people who are politically different than me.
0: So if, if we're going to avoid the politics for the sake of it, and the, like you described just now about the it's kind of irrational holding on to a belief just because I've made that choice at some point in the past, how, how in your mind do, do we, engage politically the way Jesus did because he, he I mean I'm, I would assume he didn't he wasn't just arguing arguing with the Pharisees for the sake of it you know how do, how do we yeah. make that decision how, how do we how do we walk that line
1: yeah well I, I think it's really important to realize who who did Jesus hold accountable what power was Jesus fighting against or for because I think what what you'll find is you almost forget it, it, you know, spending a lot of time in, in the new Testament. Sometimes Rome is an afterthought. Hmm. Even Herod is an afterthought sometimes. So there was, you know, John the Baptize, John the Baptist. I think he did the right thing in criticizing Herod. The, the Pharisees had, had been fine with Herod because Herod let them have their temple. That's a good thing. The, the power was kind of for us a little bit, you know, it's kind of like, Hey, we're going to get a Supreme court justice. But then what John said was, but that's not okay to take your brother's wife. And he publicly criticized him for it because he he was unafraid of what that person or power was going to do. And you know, that's speaking truth to power. Um, but that was a power that was like supported by the religious elite and, and yeah. Jesus most of his criticism is, is for his own inside religious group. So if, you know, we, I think we like to take, um, let's say Jesus flipping the table tables in the, in the temple or just his really harsh language about Pharisees. And the, what we'd prefer is to just put our political enemies in that, yep. in that role. but, I think it was uh, inside job more than anything. It's, you know, our churches and our religious people in power, and, and the the people who are, um, who are you know, taking their Christianity and using it for um, worldly gain or for power or whatever. I think we have a very strong example that the Christian voice should be united against that the the abuses in the name of Christ and the the wrong gains that are that are you know under a a religious um, kind of banner but so so I think we start you know we start with the plank in the church's eye and there I think there's always going to be that instead of it being Christians against the world. That was never the gospel either. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not the fight. But then I think that the next step is certainly has to do with. There is a lot of. You know, let's say the church has gotten it right because we we've been working really hard on getting planks out of our eye. What should we be doing when we're when we're functioning?
0: Hmm.
1: We should be we should be looking out for the people who are on the underside of society. The prisoners and the widows and the orphans. And, and I do think that, that God is working to free the oppressed and that God cares about the poor and that God um, cares about the alien, the stranger. And so the church should also, or God's going to do it without us, there are Christians who, who believe they shouldn't vote. I, I disagree with that, but I also respect that. I, th- I think it makes sense to come to, you know what, all of my action is going to be in my own life and I'm just not going to concern myself with the controversies and elections of the day. That That's a view that I think is cohesive to me. But I think there are so many Christians that our votes can also make a, a big difference. So Christians who do vote, should not vote for the, their own power or their own interests, but should vote for the interests of others.
0: Yeah, well, back when I taught this class on being too political, I I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm like, I am i don't think I should vote. <laughs> I don't think I should vote ever again. Uh, and looking back, I think it, it was a lot, it was very t- closely tied to this idea that we've mentioned before that, this world is going to go away. So whatever happens on this earth is irrelevant and we'll just move on. And I'll just focus on spiritual stuff and let the, let Caesar deal with what Caesar wants to deal with. Right. Right. But over the years since then, and honestly, especially in 2015, 2016, it's when, when Trump started coming to power, I started realizing, wow, uh, there's a lot of spiritual implications to this, some of this earthly political stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. especially when it gets into justice and the the oppressed and, and things like you were mentioning. And so I, so to some of my friends and family, it probably appears that I'm like, suddenly like, Oh, I'm Steve's like super political now or whatever. Uh, because I, at one point I, like I said, I was kind of had the, had the stance of hands off because I didn't want to sully myself with with that kind of messy world. But I, I'm, I'm realizing that, like you said, there's a lot of Christians. And if people, if Christians are, and I love what you just said also about, instead of voting for our own power and our own influence, vote for the, or try to use your political influence that you do have, even if it's one vote, to help the help those people that Jesus talks about helping. And how important that it is to help them it's a very unnatural thing to vote against your interests or
1: for other people's interests because we're just the tv told us not to do that the tv told yeah. us that if we don't f- vote for our people that the, en- the world is going to end but it hasn't so far and they they've said that for a long time yeah and i do you know the voting or not voting i do think christians should take a time out from voting for maybe I think we need to go to our rooms, think about what we've done. <laughs> so I, I'm absolutely fine with just saying, yeah, Christian should not vote because we've made too many bad choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need to go home. You're drunk. You know, you get. <laughs> but the vote is, is really such an, that's not politics. Mo, most people vote once every four years. If, right. if they do vote, the, the thing that you do, once on a Tuesday, it can have, it can have implications. And if you're voting and you're a Christian, you should think about those implications. You should try to think, um, how is the kingdom moving? And does any of the stuff on this ballot have anything to do with that? Because often the answer is no, you know, mm-hmm. should we develop this property into this? You know, sometimes the answer is that, that there's, that's not a moral issue or even a kingdom issue at all. Moral and kingdom issues absolutely have been brought up on ballots, and and moral leaders and kingdom leaders are important to elect. But the vote is is just a drop in the bucket. I think what is way more important than the vote is the voice, and that's what Jesus was. Jesus didn't vote, uh, and what John was, and and even what what you were doing, and what and what we heard from. From inside the the tribe where we're so used to it being homogenous, looking out at what you were saying about an election or about a social justice issue or about a topic felt very political. Mm -hmm. But but you uh, know what the world is like. And to the world, people were seeing a Christian witness saying that God cares about the oppressed. The voice it, you could have forgotten to vote, right? And you, and but what was important yeah, was, yeah. and What's your that? your vote in Colorado did not make a difference at all. Right. Um, that's the opposite of what people are. So, sorry, your vote your vote matters. Everyone should vote, but it doesn't really <laughs> matter because it's a winner take all system. But your voice matters, right. and I do firmly believe the higher you are. In in the public eye, the more important it is that uh, the, those the Pat Robertsons or the um, or even the you know Duck dynasties of the world are are who Christians should be holding accountable first. We should be a voice that is for the praiseworthy things that public Christians are doing, but then immediately ready to give them the criticism they need when they're not being a witness of Christ. Um, I think as leaders of churches, it's important to lead your sheep to, to think about kingdom things, even as it has to do with policy or those challenging moments when your whole tribe feels one way, but but maybe there's some, but Jesus might have pushed you to think about what the other side is thinking. And I so I think Christians need to, we have lost our witness in America because Christianity is, is associated with guns for some reason. Yeah. Um, and with Donald Trump and with, um, you know, things that are so weird, like anti-immigration issues. What a weird thing to be associated with Christ or, you know, if, if we were being slandered because we were all pacifists, and people look down on us for that, I guess I would understand that. I'd be like, you know, I, I guess that's fine. But it's so sad to be slandered because we hate people or because we we really, really like thinking about maybe shooting somebody one day. That, you know, so as as leadership of churches, I think we need to challenge ourselves to to be a voice that is credible, not just a voice that's, just like everyone else looking out for our own power, our own, the things that are not Christian, but happen to be part of our societies. Like that we're, that we're middle-class. So we, we want low taxes and that we are gun owners. So we like the second amendment. Um, And Christians, even this, the ones who don't vote and who are silent and don't, you know, I don't think that you have to post political things on Facebook to be a f- faithful Christ follower. Mm-hmm. But sometimes silence, especially the, the more of a leader you are, sometimes silence is absolutely the wrong thing. Um, but not everyone is a is in a leadership position. Not everyone cares about politics or, or knows about politics or or is interested in that. But I think all of us can still be acting and I wish that, um, I think our tradition separated heaven from earth so much that we think that it's about um, believing something. So you go to heaven instead of joining a kingdom and now you have a job to do mm. on earth right now. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And when, when Jesus was talking about the gospel, the good news was what he was doing. He was like, the good news, hey, good news, everyone the kingdom is here. Yeah. It was not repent, believe and be baptized. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't good news. It's crummy here, but I'm going to rescue your spirit. It was, it was a very tangible kingdom. And I think we are called to continue that work. And it does involve the good news of, of redemption. But, there's work involved with that. Um, So I think that vocalizing our, our dissent when we need to and holding power accountable is very important, but so is service and working for causes that bring kingdom to, to earth. Yeah. And our enemy, our enemy is not Republicans or Democrats or socialists or feminists or illegal immigrants or woke people or, or or antifa or whatever um but there is a a very real enemy I, I remember um and when when we're distracted fighting about our tribes i i do think that and we're not doing work but the enemy is winning i i remember i a long time ago i I was part of this like after school program in Inner City Oklahoma or South Side Oklahoma City. I yeah. guess there's not an Inner City in Oklahoma, but really poor area, a lot of gang activity and a lot of the kids in this program, their parents were in gangs or were addicted to drugs and it was a just a very very impoverished area. And I was one of my jobs was to pick up the kids at their homes. And so as I was planning out First day on the job planning out like my route and how I was gonna do this, I was using Google Earth. And there was this trailer park with all these pristine trailers. Um and I I looked at the route, and when I arrived, all of these trailers were covered in graffiti. Mm. And the it wasn't, you know, like it was the kind of graffiti that happens when there's two gangs that are marking their territory on the same spot. So it's not pretty and it doesn't say anything. It's just like MS, you know, 13 or whatever. And then the yeah. other guys and they're the it's it's the evidence of um, of an actual like turf war. But it was all of these people's homes. And I was just struck by the fact that the Google Earth camera had been there two years ago. And this was a like a peaceful area, but this war came to this neighborhood uh, where it wasn't before, and I just felt like it's like a like the kingdom lost this little area it's mm. it's ful- ful- filled with hate now, and you know I think Christians are should be the force in the world wherever they are. Where the graffiti is going backwards, where the incarcerated people, they're breaking up families, are being liberated and valued, and where the where, where poor people are being valued, and that's what we should be known for, and that's a reason to be political, and that's a reason to to express our political voice, and our failure to do that is why the world sees us as. Too political in all the wrong ways. These clouds keep rolling by, now feel the pain. It courses through my heart every time they speak your name. But when the morning comes, yeah, I really
0: wish that we could. By the rain. as christians as a whole could gain our focus back to being kingdom focused instead of salvation focused i know that sounds you know oh forget salvation you know no not, that's not what i'm saying but when when we are salvation focused we tend to focus on us and getting myself to heaven or getting you to heaven when we're kingdom focused, it it's it tends to be more about other people, and realizing that this the kingdom. It it when Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, he didn't mean it's like coming soon. I mean, it's like you reach out and you can grab it. It's like that kind of at hand. And when if we're if we can be kingdom focused, then it's going to spur us on to take action and try to help that that community, or try to help those people who are stuck at the border or whatever it may be, instead of just trying to help us in our own self-interest and our own power. And it's it's so frustrating to me that, the worst, that Christians are so stuck on fighting each other about that kind of stuff.
1: I think, so, so G- Jesus sometimes knew that the way to shake up that internal focus was to be a little bit offensive mm-hmm. and to challenge that that structure and i i think we don't have to be so afraid of that feeling hey i just got i just got offended or i just got that was uncomfortable or that just challenged my beliefs because if we can get comfortable with that we're going to hear what jesus is saying to us because it's often is a challenge. And it's when we're, when we're tuning that voice out um, because we do not want to be challenged where our anger is very similar to the, the reason Jesus got crucified. It was, you were doing fine. Why did you have to bring this into it? Yeah. So I, th- I think that there, there is a time and a place for offense and for challenge and for criticism from Christian voices to other Christians and then to the to the to the power that's that's part of what Jesus was like and it's power is a dangerous thing so we should be we should be careful uh, that our political voice doesn't turn into a desire for for that power but if we if we can. Start following Jesus's example. Jesus was not afraid to give up his power and then serve people who were not like him, and and be in their communities. Yeah. And um, I don't think we have anything to f- be afraid of if
0: if we give up our power either. So, be political, in that we use our voice and our vote when it when it when it's relevant to. Move along the the things that Jesus would want to move along, right, and help the people that he need that he would want us to help, but not not political in the in the in the sense of let's argue about stuff just for fun, just for arguing. But don't be afraid of you know
1: if you've gone too long and realized nobody disagreed about anything in your church, then get you know invite me and I'll I'll bring up a a challenging analogy because we it we should be regularly challenged and not offended for offense sake, but, but we should struggle with who are we and who is God and what, what does that all mean? And what's that relationship? It's it's not, it's not going to throw you off the slippery slope. It's going to strengthen your roots.
0: Yeah. And I, I really wish that we could all on both sides. I wish that we could all get rid of the tribalism thing that that our, our political tribes have become more important than our our identity in Christ. The identity thing still just, it just depresses me. It makes me so sad. I, I had a, I asked a question in this, I was looking at my notes of this class that I, that I taught. I asked this question and it still it kind of hits me. It's a, who would you rather spend time with? A Christian who voted for the other guy? Or a non-Christian who campaign for your guy. Uh yeah. Who would you rather hang out with? The non-Christian <laughs> who campaign. Yeah, and not that not that it's all about who you hang out with. It's just kind of one of those questions to kind of jog your your sense right. of security a little bit.
1: And it it has all become about identity. That yeah. that's the thing. Is it's... It's not about politic policy at all. It when when things start to get offensive or when things start to feel political, I think it's always because it's touching your identity somehow, and you have tied your identity to something. And and so that the challenge is, you know that that could just be a political issue that you talk about or a or we believe this interpretation of scripture differently, but it challenges your core, your tribe, which means it hits your gut. You've got react to it. It's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. Um, But our identity is, was never supposed to come from that. We're American or that we're any, any of those things. We should be
0: flip flopping on everything except for Christ. (laughs) Amen. Well, I, I I just feel like we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's so many directions to go on this. You're like, you know. Yeah, the. Because, politics is just another way of saying the things that we disagree about in life. So. That's true. Um, but I, I do I do like the idea to to not be so worried about causing offense if if it's an important. I mean, like try to take the a page from Jesus's book and speak up and use your voice and don't, don't stop talking about something because someone's mad that you're quote unquote being political. I want, I want to add something just, I feel
1: like it's assumed, but maybe it's not. So I, most of my political career didn't care who you voted for. I, I had my own personal convictions, had no, real, um, need to share them with other people in, you know, from 2016 to 2020, I was strongly convicted that, that Christians should be opposed to Donald Trump as a person. And then in 2020, I felt this moral certainty about Christians should not only should we vote, but we should vote against Trump and for Biden for the only purpose of removing Donald Trump from office and getting him disassociated with the name of Christ.
0: Yeah. All of that
1: to say, uh, I felt very strongly about that. I felt like it was coming from my relationship with God. If you voted for Trump, I uh, do not feel ill will towards you. (laughs) I am my friends who, and my family members, If, if you voted for Trump, I still consider you part of my kingdom family, and I do not, have a thing against you because you are a, um, a Trumper. I I feel like that needs to be said because I, I felt so strongly about what was at hand and the issues. And I still do. I still believe, I still believe those things, but I can hold those beliefs and be in relationship with you. If you, if you vote, you know, voted for Trump or if on the next issue you vote a different way than me. Or even if you speak out against a different thing, um, it's frustrating to me that you don't, that you're not right, you know, and you can't see the light like I can. (laughs) But um, I really, I have friends that I'm worried that they think because I posted things or said things that they maybe wonder, like, maybe, you know, he's not going to accept me anymore. Like, I I feel like we make our own distance even more by wondering what the other side is thinking. And I would, uh, you know, I, I just went through a process where, um, I helped hire a very Trumpy individual and I I felt great about it because I can, not only can I work with you, but we're going to have great conversations and they're good at their job, even though I would have spent every minute before that trying to convince them that they're wrong.
0: Well, and we're back to identity again. If, if you, if, if I wrap my identity around a person and you cannot stand that person then you have therefore you you can't stand me and right we we need to disentangle ourselves from identity in other people in other parties in causes and whatever it happens to be and and wrap our identity back around christ like it's supposed to be and
1: don't let the world tell you who your enemy is And don't let the world tell you who your neighbor is (laughs) there. The world is very wrong about that. And, and we, as Christians, that's practically what our political speech should be is this is my neighbor. And this is, is either not my enemy or guess what we're supposed to do with our enemies that, you know, that's going to get us in political trouble all the time, but it's, and it's not just about singing Kumbaya with people that, that are, you have extreme differences with. I, I think it always has to start with drawing your identity from Christ. And if you have that in common, then that's going to be enough to figure out the other stuff. Right. I feel like it's very safe to have a political, um, in. it's an off year. It's not
0: political season. There's not (laughs) like anything to vote for, you know? Oh, there's still things to argue about. I'm sure we could find something. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, good stuff, man. I'm, I think we'll, I, I have the feeling we're going to revisit this topic in one form or another. Also,
1: if we said something egregious, sorry, and you should email us, send a tweet our way or a comment on Facebook or something and or text us. That That's usually how a lot of you <laughs> let me know. But um, yeah, we, we want we'll, we'll still love you even if you're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. You're wrong, but we want to hear... It feels nice to know that we're better than other people. So we want, to, we want to hear your wrong opinions so that we can keep our feeling of superiority.
0: There you go. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later.